Hey, if you got a Bible, meet me in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to uh, share with you a couple sentences from Scripture that are perhaps the most difficult and hard to understand, uh, maybe within all of Scripture, but certainly within the book of 1 Peter. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are people who, maybe even some people here today, that will say the Bible is archaic, it's irrelevant. There are stories that are even barbaric. We don't need it anymore. We've far outgrown all that. We are advanced as a society. There's no need to explore some of these things. And they'll point to the uh, verses that we're about to read as an example of that. So First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13, check it out. It'll be on screen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Yikes. See what I'm saying about difficult, hard to understand? Submit yourselves to every human authority. What, what authority? Every human authority. Well, that clearly can't mean every human authority. I mean, Peter could not have predicted the Trumps or the Clintons or the Obamas or the Bushes. Take your pick depending which side of the aisle you land on. Uh, just so you know, this is why I like preaching from books of the Bible uh, because I would have never come to the week where I would have said, you know what we should talk about? Submitting to every human authority. It would have never crossed my mind to say, I know I think the people need today to hear from God about submission to the state. You know, surrendering to Congress, barring some sort of government takeover and a fascist member of that government coming in here and telling me to preach on submission and all of that to the government that we, we would have never, we'd never come to this passage. If we're being honest, I thought this week... Maybe we should just skip this one, you know, like who's, who's even going to know? And just the nerds that read their Bibles. So y'all see them in heaven, you know, who cares about all that? But not how this preaching thing works. We're going to talk about this because the Bible talks about it. Yet by sheer fact that most of us in here are Americans, none of us have ears to hear submission to human authority. That is ridiculous. What about Hitler? What about Stalin? Uh, what about King George III? You all know who King George III was? The King of England during the Revolutionary War. We clearly did not submit to him. Were we wrong in doing that? Uh, fun fact, I was a history major in college. You all probably heard of like the Boston Harbor Tea Party and all of that. And it's common knowledge the English like their tea. King George III hated a specific brand of tea. You know what this is called? Uh, it was called Liber Tea. Come on, somebody. Yes. Yes. Got you with it. Liber Tea. Home of free. First service didn't get it either. Don't worry about it. But... Um, I was pretty excited about it. Uh, something to think about here. Our entire country was founded on this idea of revolution. 
Rebellion is part of our national identity, our cultural ethos. We came to be by mutiny, and we have been rebelling against anything we can ever since. It's in our DNA. Now, uh, it's going to get worse biblically before it gets better, because aside from submitting to every human authority, Peter's going to go on to say, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, it, but also to those who are harsh. So that's in there. Submit to harsh masters. How are you going to explain that, Pastor? I'm not. We're for sure skipping that one, okay? I don't even want to cross that bridge, but uh, no, I'm kidding. We'll come, we'll come back to that. It's important for us to know what Peter's talking about, but uh, it gets even worse because right after that, Peter says, wives, in the same way that we're talking about slaves, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Look out who else is nervous right now as a husband? You're like, oh, you catch that on here? No, don't say that. Um, how are we going to explain all that? Maybe a better question is who else is glad they're not a pastor at the moment because you do not have to explain any of these passages. I know, I couldn't find anybody to fill in this week. I was really trying to be gone. But uh, you can see why if you don't do the difficult work of studying your Bible and trying to figure out what these difficult passages mean. You can see why skeptics and antagonists can come to you with verses like this and they can say, well, this is wrong. This is vile. You've got God ordaining communism, slavery, and misogyny all within the matter of a couple sentences. And they'll take passages like this and say, well, God clearly is not real. And if he is real, he can't be good or loving, certainly not, you know, demanding of your worship, because who would want to uh, worship somebody like that? That's obviously not concerned for people's safety. So a couple things. First of all, anytime you read your Bible, you have to remember that it was written by specific people during a specific time for a specific reason. And one of the questions that you need to ask yourself is why? Why did this specific person decide to record this specific event at this specific reason, and what was the purpose for recording it? Why did this writing survive antiquity? A, a better uh, thing would be to why did this particular writing get included and compiled into the Bible when a number of other writings didn't? Uh, I want you to know that you have my permission. In fact, I would highly encourage you to question everything you read in the Bible. Why is that in there? Uh, you don't have to take everything on sheer faith. That being said, please don't always do that questioning by yourself. Engage the text with other people. Uh, wrestle with it together. See what they have to say about it. Uh, again, I feel like I say this every single week, but this is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved into a group. Uh, because I want you studying the Bible together. Our primary purpose in small groups, just so you know, is for you to develop significant relationships with other people. Uh, th that's what we, we want you to have more friends that study the Bible together. That's honestly our entire uh, goal, but uh, do life together. Uh, my point is nearly every single heresy ever contrived was thought up by people who read the Bible by themselves. And they didn't have the audacity to do the hard work of engaging with it with other people. Point being, our mission, should we choose to accept it together today, we're going to try and figure out what in the world is Peter talking about. Submit yourselves 
to every human authority. Slaves submit to master. What in the world? How in the inspiration of Jesus can Peter write something like this? To answer that, we need to go back, like way back, back to the very beginning. And I'm not asking uh, you to agree with me on this point, but I'm on the team that says God created the entire world and everything in it. Regardless of how he did that, the reason why he did that is very significant. And the reason why God created the world and everything in it is for his glory and our joy. And the reason that you can have joy in this creation process is because God created you with freedom from the very beginning. Here it is in Scripture, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. You're what? Free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Here's what I want you to write down. True freedom only is found through submission. True freedom is only found through submission. You can see Adam was completely free to eat any fruit from any tree in the entire garden as long as he submitted to the one command to not eat from the one tree. Why? Because true freedom is only found through submission. Now, you already know that's true. That is not new information to you, that true freedom is only found through submission. You know the only reason you're free to come and gather in this place right now is because you've submitted to the laws of the land and you're not in jail. You know that you're free to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and how much of what you want, but because you've submitted to not eating certain things, you're not obese or in the hospital or on medication or whatever it is, you know that you're free to uh, not go to practice, but because you've submitted to the coach, you're able to go play in the game and have the freedom to actually be on the team and all of that. You know that you are free to not study. You're free to not go to work. You're free to not love your spouse, but because you've submitted to all of those areas, you've actually found freedom and life in all of the things. Now, sure, you've maybe never thought of it in those terms before, but you now realize that real freedom can only come through submitting to the order that God has created. Nonetheless, a lot of people ask, and you might be wondering the same thing, well, why the tree to begin with? You know, why not just create human beings and let them be? Why the one rule? Because true freedom is only found through submission. True freedom is only found in the realization that he's God and you're not. That's why there's the tree, to show us we're not the gods here. Uh, let me uh, point you to one more passage just to prove my point. In the New Testament book of Luke, we read that Jesus walks into a temple. He's just about to start his ministry. He grabs a scroll off of the shelf, and he begins to read these words from a prophet, Isaiah, who came about 600 years before Jesus showed up. And, and Isaiah said this, and Jesus quotes him, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, what's the word? Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed. Help me. Free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
In other words, the Lord's favor is what leads to your freedom. God's plan for your life has always been to set you free. And it's through the submission and lordship of Jesus that you can find true independence. That's why I like to tell you my goal for you is really fourfold. I want you to know God. I want you to find freedom. I want you to discover your purpose. And I want you to make a difference. You're coming to New Anthem for the very first time. Those are the four things that we're about. People say, well, I don't want to go to church. Church just wants something from me. Not this one. I want something for you. I want you to know God. I want you to find freedom from the slavery of sin. I want you to discover your purpose, why God has put you on this planet. And I believe there's a reason why none of you are here by accident. You might have been a surprise to your parents. You ain't a surprise to God, okay? And I want you to make a difference while you're on this planet for whatever time God has chosen to give you. That's what I'm about. That's what this church is about. But I know the only place for you to find that freedom, step number two, is in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ once you discover who God is. Now, what I really need you to comprehend this morning is how revolutionary this idea of freedom actually was. Think about who Jesus was talking about when he strolled into this temple. He's talking to the religious elite, Pharisees, devout Jews, men who had the Torah memorized, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. Some of y'all couldn't even make it through Leviticus. You're like, skip that one. I don't need all these rules and all that. Memorized. This was their entire lives. Men who had over 600 laws that they faithfully had to keep. Laws about how far they could walk on the Sabbath. Laws about where tassels could appear on their robes. Laws about where they had to hold scriptures in their hands. Laws about how to cut their hair, what they could eat what they had to sacrifice in order to make recompense back to God. Men who faithfully observed all of these laws that really limit their liberty. And, and Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that's going to do away with all those laws. Laws that you've kept for hundreds of years, many of which laws that were given to you by God, uh, they're kind of limiting your liberty. I'm here to set the captives free. I'm the guy that's going to that's gonna do away with all of this. You do realize that's ultimately what got Jesus killed, right? Because he kept claiming to be God, the one who could overtake all these laws, so that made the religious people mad. And then he, his followers kept saying that he was king, and so that made the Romans mad, so they were more than happy to oblige his crucifixion because there's only one king. His name is Caesar, so you're not going to worship anybody besides him. And so I hope you realize the difficulty in submitting is not just an American proclivity, it is a human tendency. It has been like this from the very beginning. And God comes along and he creates freedom and says freedom is only found in your submission to me, except we don't like that idea of submission and so we disobey God. But instead of just ransacking all of humanity and killing everybody, God in his grace sends along Jesus and says, no, I'm here to reinstitute freedom and then they kill him for it. Y'all know who Stone Cold Steve Austin is? Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is only one of the greatest in-ring performers of an entire generation. Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, 
Stone Cold Steve Austin. So yes, some of you are with me. If you are not a fan of professional wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin was famous for being a rebel and really sticking it to the man, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, to be more specific. And his famous tagline was, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Well, on some level, you can't understand submission to God without understanding the reason why we submit. And the reason why we submit is because God said so. And that's the bottom line. And Peter writes it in his letter. We submit to every human authority. Why? For the Lord's sake. Like, because the Lord has told us we're going to submit, this is the reason why we need to submit. And if you have a hard time with the concept of submission, might I submit to you that this is a spiritual issue? That for some reason, God is not actually the king of your heart. Peter furthers his statement by writing, for it is God's will. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? It's God's will that you should do good. Silence the talk of ignorant people by doing good. Anybody know somebody that's ignorant? You want to silence their talk? Okay, well, do good. And live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So, that is to say, Christian freedom rests not on an escape from service. Now, we're supposed to still serve, but it's in a change of master. We're going to live as God's slaves. And when God is your master and you first belong to him and to his kingdom, only then can you be sent by him for his sake, for his purposes, for his will, back into the world in order to be a free agent to make a difference. Jot it down like this. A good Christian is a good citizen. A good Christian, regardless of where you live, is a good citizen. I want to spend some time this morning talking about how we should be a good citizen. But first, I need you to hear me say that the most important thing this text does is put all of our social and political lives back into relationship with God. So listen to me now. The Bible is not just a book about how to get along in the world. It is a book inspired by God about how to live in service to him while you're in the world. Make no mistake, this world is not our home. We are free citizens of heaven sent by God back into the world with this single task of setting other people free. Cue Mel Gibson and Braveheart speech, right? Freedom is what we are about. But get this, pay attention, freedom is not a weapon to fight with. It is a tool to build with. As Christians, we are sent by God into this world to strengthen the moral and social fabric of society. I hope you understand if Jesus' goal was to create a government with moral laws and thriving economies, then he failed. He didn't do that. He didn't overthrow the Roman government. Instead, he created human beings to live in those places and gave us uh, uh, gifts, talents, and abilities so that we could live in the corrupt nations and make them more Christ-like. And that was his plan from the very beginning. I'll show you a New Testament pa- or an Old Testament passage here hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene that proves to you God's goal was always for you to make a difference in the world. 
Okay, Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is very remarkable when you actually put this into context. God is saying that I'm the one that's responsible for carrying you off to Babylon into exile where you're going to be slaves, and this is the single most corrupt nation in the history of the world when you really study Babylon, and they were into things that none of you would ever even think was possible for governments to condone, but they were, in fact, doing all of them, child sacrifice, all kinds of crazy things things that the government wanted you to do. And God says, I'm taking you into this nation and I want you to pray for it because when Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. And the prophet Jeremiah goes on to say that I want you to plant gardens, build houses, marry wives, have children, develop your life in this God-forsaken country because I want you to be the lights in a dark world. And if that's not enough to convince you, remember our Genesis passage? Why did God create Adam and put him in the garden? To work it and to take care of it, to make it better. God's will for humanity has always been for us to make the world a better place. From the beginning, he was to be our king and we were going to live in freedom with him and we were going to work in the world and live in the world and love the world and, and it was going to be magnificent. But because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and listen to me, every human being since, because we have... We are our own queens. We are masters of our own destinies. This freedom that God has given you has blinded you to the fact that you think, I don't need to do what you think, God. I'm going to do whatever I want. You know? But you might think to yourself, I've never actually said that to God. You didn't have to. Your actions said it for you. Furthermore, when you were a child, you said it to your parents every single day. Go brush your teeth. No. Don't eat that snack before supper. I'm going to do it anyway. Go take a shower. No. Right? You know, constantly that's how. Just the other day, one of my children, who will remain nameless, came up to me and asked me, why do I have to do what you say? Because I made you and this is my house. And they said, I thought mom made me. (laughs) No, mom developed you and pumped you out of her body. I made you. (laughs) They said, uh, how did you make me? I'm not ready to cross that bridge yet. So I said, well, your mother led me into temptation. There was this thing. Well, the, that's, what, that's not important. What's important is this is my house, and as long as you're in my house, you're going to do whatever I say. Who else realizes 90% of parenting is you parenting yourself because ain't nobody else listening, right? I mean, that's just how this thing works. But I can't help but wonder if that's not God's attitude up in heaven and what he feels like because God is the one who's created everything and given us this world and air to breathe and food to harvest and here we are like, you're not the boss of me. Well, he kind of is. And until you realize that, you'll never actually be free to experience his goodness and the freedom that he's given you on this planet. Now, here's where things get really interesting because despite rejecting God and despite 
uh, not obeying the one rule that God has given us. Uh, God does not wipe humanity off of the earth, which was entirely within his rights to do. Uh, Instead, he punishes us by allowing sin to be prevalent in the world, but he gives us another chance to follow him instead of following ourselves. And one in, in one of the greatest acts of God's grace and mercy and justice, he uses a four-tier system of constraint to put uh, an, uh, a constraint on chaos while we live in this world. I did not put this in your notes, but here is what it is. Government, employment, family, and the church. God's four-tier system of constraint so that we are able to live in a sinful world and there's not complete anarchy. God has given us government, family, uh, the church, and employment. Now, I didn't, uh, again, put this in your notes. You can write that off to the side. Government, employment, family, the church. We are to submit to these institutions to reflect his glory and his goodness uh, within the world. So when Peter writes, submit yourselves to every human authority, he's not writing that because the authorities deserve our submission. He's writing that because God deserves our submission and governments have been created by God for our benefit. How do I know governments have been created for our benefit? Because verse 14 tells me they've been created for our benefit. The reason governments exist is to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. When governments are operating the way they're supposed to be operating, they're punishing those who do wrong and they're giving opportunities for everybody to have a chance to do right. And, and what happens to the governments who uh, don't do that? Well, we're going to talk about what that looks like. Uh, but first, let's talk about the other institutions that God has created. The second one being employment. This is actually what Peter was talking about when he references slavery. He's talking about uh, employment. I told you we'd come back to it. You didn't believe me. But most of our modern American minds, when we hear the word slavery, we're compelled to think Jim Crow South Uh, chains, whips, abuse, uh, all of those types of things, but that is not what slavery was for thousands of years. That was a modern invention of vile wickedness. Slavery back in biblical times was more of an employment arrangement. Okay, I'll explain it like this. Maybe this will help. Uh, In ancient times, there were not so much boundary lines uh, within, you know, independent nations. You had a clan here, a clan over there, and they would move and they would emigrate and they would travel and they would follow herds and they would follow food and they would follow water. Uh, Whatever they needed to do to survive, that's where they went. Now, if you were unfortunate enough to be born into a small clan... There were any number of things that could kill you. Wild animals, drought, famine, bandits, even bigger clans coming in. So if you're in a smaller clan and wanted to guarantee your safety, you might sell yourself or your family into slavery to the larger clan so that they could protect you. And it was in an effort to prolong your life. Other times, there were, in fact, times where people would get into debt and they would borrow money and they were a slave to their lender because they couldn't repay it back. And so they had to work for them 
until they could pay it back. But there's also a whole host of evidence we have throughout history that had laws and rules for about how you could treat a slave and how you had to protect them and you were supposed to keep them safe and you could be punished if you didn't keep your slave safe. And there was other laws specifically in the Bible that said after a certain number of years you had to set your slave free regardless of if their debt was paid or not. So in in many ways, slavery back then was comparable to some of your jobs right now. I thought somebody would be like, I heard that, Pastor. I was a slave to my job every day. But nobody thought that. Okay, so you must love your jobs, which is good. I'm I'm glad for you. But uh, you might have a boss who, who owns the company and in a very real way is kind of responsible for you. They own you. They're protecting your family by paying you a salary. They're helping make you safe by guaranteeing your insurance and maybe a pension. As a former owner of a company, I realize there's a big responsibility and burden that comes along with this because you not only want to make sure you take care of your own family, you want to make sure you're taking care of your employees' family. You don't want your employees' kids growing up hating you because you couldn't pay them. And, and as a pastor of a church, I don't want people's kids growing up hating God because the church couldn't afford to pay mommy and daddy and there's a burden and a responsibility that comes with all of this. Um, and, and this is what Peter is actually talking about when he says, slaves, submit to your owners. Slaves, submit to your bosses. Because employment is one of the institutions God has set up for human advancement and for human flourishing. And just like you might have a crummy boss today... There were people back then that had crummy bosses. Yet I think we can all agree that those who have a a source of income are more safe, more stable, and more economically free because they've submitted to some sort of career choice. Third institution that God set up was marriage. We're going to actually not talk about that today because Peter talks about it later in his letter, and so we'll come back to that. Fourth institution that God sets up for human advancement to constrain chaos in the world is the church. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time to talk about it. I would just direct your attention to Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus is having a conversation with our very own Peter, and he tells Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So I don't think I have to prove to you that God's plan in his world was to create the church because Jesus flat out says it, that I'm going to be the one responsible for building the church. Now, what I do want to spend the rest of our time talking about is how this looks for your life in 2019. If we're supposed to submit and we're supposed to be a good Christian and a good citizen, what does that even look like and how do we do this moving forward? Uh, especially if freedom is only found through submission. Those are good questions. Peter actually outlines it for us in the Bible. That's what I love about the Bible. Very practical. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You want to submit to God? You want to be a good citizen? Four things you have to do. Show proper respect to everyone. Love family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So first of all, number one, How do we respect everyone? What does that look like? Uh, uh, By doing good deeds. By overflowing with good deeds. You want to respect everyone? Then do good works. Nobody is impressed with a Christian ethic that only avoids bad things. They're impressed by 
tangible, actual, visible good where you're in the world and you're making a difference based on the good things that you're doing. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says it like this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then glorify the Father in heaven. Christianity is not a private faith. Your salvation might have been very private. I will give you that. But your private salvation should lead to very public service of doing good works for other people. And if you'll go back and read the previous paragraphs that Peter has written, you'll see repeatedly, hey, you gotta go do this. Do good works. Be holy by doing good things. The very sentence before this one, Peter writes, live such good lives among non-believers, pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So let me ask you, how are you doing at doing good? What, what good deeds have you done this week? What actions have you performed that have benefited other people? L- let me also point out the fact that respecting everyone doesn't mean respect looks the same for everyone. You all realize that's true? That to respect everyone doesn't mean you show everyone the same level, or it doesn't mean you have to respect uh, the same way. How do I know that? Because it says, honor the emperor as supreme in the previous verses. It doesn't say honor the emperor because he is supreme. It said we're supposed to honor the emperor as supreme. It means his title has given him authority. So you got to treat him accordingly. I'll say it like this. You can respect the office without respecting the officer. And, and biblically, we're called to respect the office. How a lot of people reference their bosses and their teachers, and God forbid, the presidency and your senators, and how we talk about that stuff. Are you respecting the office? You can disagree with them, but are you doing it in a respectful way? Maybe a, a better example is how do you respect a murderer and a rapist? Can you show somebody like that respect? Yes, you can, through a fair trial and just punishment, Right? That's respectful. We're not going to treat them like an animal, but we're going to make sure they get a fair trial among the jury of their peers, and we're going to make sure that their uh, punishment fits the crime. And that's how we respect people. But whether you like it or not, we are called to respect everyone. Doesn't mean you can't disagree, but it means when you do disagree, you do it in such a way that it brings glory to God. We don't scream and yell and divide and rabble rouse and try and cause some, uh, stir up some commotion. We love and put to silence ignorant people by doing good works. Good works. Peter goes on to say, number two, love the family of believers. What does that mean? Love the church. Good Christian is a good citizen because we are submitting to God's authority and God tells us that we need to love the church. This was particularly important to Peter because this emperor that they're supposed to honor He was busy persecuting, killing, and isolating the family of believers. Historians have uncovered documents that talk about the Roman emperor Nero, who was Claudius, then Nero. Peter lived under both of them. Uh, So it's hard to to clarify which one he was talking about. But we know that Nero uh, loved to race his chariot. 
And so he built this epic track in Rome and he'd go out there and, and race people and it was fantastic. The only problem is he loved to race so much when it got dark at night, there's no lights on the track. Somehow he's got to figure out how he can light up the track so that he can continue racing his chariot. And so his solution was, hey, I'm going to take the people that I hate the most, the Christians, and I'm going to tie them up to a pole and I'm going to pour hot tar over them and then I'm going to light them on fire so they can light up my track while I get to race my chariot. And this is the guy that Peter's saying, hey, we're supposed to honor him, but we need to do that by loving the family of believers because clearly nobody else is doing that. And what you need to remind it of is that the church of God has been able to live and grow in all kinds of political systems, due in large part because of the love of the Christians that are in those areas. The church in China right now is exploding by the millions and they're all underground meeting privately in houses because their pastors are being arrested and killed. And that's why God says, no, you need to love the family of believers and make sure you show each other honor when nobody else will. Uh, How does the church grow in these areas? Quite frankly, because they fear God, not the government which is actually point number three. We need to fear God, not our governments. We've talked about fear of God in week number two, so I'm not gonna spend much time here, but uh, when you consider God and who he is and what he's done, it should well up in you such an awe-inspiring fear of like, holy cow, who is this, this God that's created the world and is spinning at 67,000 miles per second or whatever, and how are we not falling out of the sky? And how is it that all of these plants and grow? And like, like when you start really thinking about everything that God has done and who is this God that cares so much for me that he wants to spend an eternity with me and has created a way for us to spend this eternity together that should like well up in you who am I that God would love me and that is fear a holy wonder and awe of the God of the universe Finally, if you want to be a good citizen, you're going to have to respect everyone, love uh, the church, fear God, and honor authority. Honor authority. I'll say it like this. You're going to submit to earthly authority until it prohibits you from submitting to the heavenly authority. You're going to obey the government until your obedience makes you disobey God. We don't blindly follow whatever our government tells us. The midwives didn't kill Moses, even though Pharaoh told him to kill every child. Uh, Daniel didn't eat the food that was placed in front of him, even though the government said, you're going to eat this food. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to the uh, golden image, even though the government told them to. More recently, Hobby Lobby didn't cower under the pressures of the government. But hear me, they all did it appropriately. They all did it respectfully. They went through the right channels. They honored God when the government told them to do something else. Uh, If you get nothing else I say, you have to get this, and then I promise you we're done. Something has to happen in you for God to work through you. Something has to happen in your soul for God to work through you. And what has to happen in you is your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you really want to be free, then you have to surrender your life to God. 
Submission is surrender to God. So let me just ask you, has that happened? Has that happened for you? Have you surrendered your life and submission to God? Perhaps the most important sentences within all of the Bible, certainly the most important sentences within 1 Peter, start in verse 21 where he says, For to this you have been called to sacrifice, to submission, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving to you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled and spit on and put a crown of thorns on, and who prophesied who hit you? Jesus. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That's what's at stake for you today. In your submission to God, it's your healing, your freedom your flourishing, your joy, your hope. That's what's at stake for you. You get to find healing in submission to Jesus. The question before you is, will you? Will you submit even when it's difficult? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for just, again, the freedom that you have given us to come and gather into this place and open it up and read it and try to figure out what you're meaning, God. So I'm just, again, asking you to do what only you can do and provide for us some clarity on how we're not submitting our lives to you, whether that be in our respect to somebody or whether that be in just our employment or how we fear you, how we're loving other believers, how we're honoring. God, just help us figure out what our next step is so that we can live this life that you've called us to. As we continue to pray, as you reflect over this idea of submission and and honoring God, I just want to give you a chance to legitimately surrender your life before God today. To be able to walk out of this place knowing who the Lord of your life really is. You can just say, God, I believe in you. I believe in freedom and flourishing, and I know it's found in Jesus. God, I believe that he died on a cross and rose from the dead. And by his wounds, I can be healed. Make me new. Thank you for saving me. And God, thank you again just for the assurance that we have of salvation and forgiveness of sin and that we can live with you in eternity. Help us honor you as Lord of our lives and let this week be reflective of that. Give us an opportunity to do good deeds today. Give us eyes to see what that looks like. And ask this in Jesus' name, amen.